welcome to another episode of the Making Sense of Islam podcast. A few housekeeping points before we begin. Every episode is accompanied by episode notes that highlight everything I've referenced. So people, verses, hadith, etc. They're all in the episode notes, which you can find at makingsenseofislam.com. Most of the episodes are short form, so the notes are few. But when you listen to longer form episodes, the notes are meant to be a resource and an aid. Number two. I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on whatever platform you use and leave a comment, hopefully positive. And number three, every Friday I send out a short email called Coexist Ruminations that shares what I'm working on and reading in my four focus areas. If you'd like to receive these, please sign up by going to makingsenseofislam.com forward slash Friday. That's it for now. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, I just wanted to give you all a short introduction to this five-part series on Islamic spirituality. I was very excited to put together this series because Islamic spirituality or Sufism has been a big interest for me and a system of thinking that I turn to time and time again to solve major obstacles and challenges I face in my personal life. All throughout my years of studying, I was blessed to have the subject matter as a core part of my training, so I've had a wide exposure to it through both books and practitioners. And I think in the current climate, it's more important than ever. Now, the first few episodes are a little more theoretical, so if you feel the information is too much, be sure to check out the episode notes, which I think will help you navigate through the material. I get more practical in episodes four and five. And as always, I'm open to feedback. You can leave comments on the Facebook page and Instagram, both under the name Making Sense of Islam, or you could go to makingsenseofislam.com to submit an email. I look forward to hearing from you soon. Take care. What are the tools of the path which are different than the principles? The principles are sort of rules and and concepts that guide us. But what does this actually look like? Everything that we have been uh, talking about. The first tool of the path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is absolute adherence to the sharia and sound belief. So we cannot advance in our uh, spiritual path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without outside of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us through revelation and through the Prophet sallallahu So the person that is most concerned with their spiritual advancement must also first, firstly be concerned that they understand the broad strokes of what Islam is. Uh, what are you know, the right actions that we do, you know, devotion-wise, prayer, fasting, these things. What are the right beliefs that we have? So we understand what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, what Allah ta'ala isn't, who the Prophet is, who the Prophet isn't, so on and so forth. That's very, very important, and that's really the first, the first step. Um, and it might sound, uh, it might sound silly uh, that that's the beginning of the of this, you know, all of these wonderful things that we've been talking about. But it actually, if you remember the example of the circle, the circumference, and the radius, etc., that's what that example, or that's what that symbol means. That that circle, the circumference of the circle, is the Sharia is correct action, correct belief. And you can't access the center of that circle unless you're on the circumference to start out with. So it is to be, you know, 
uh, practicing uh, you know, uh, as much as one can the basics and having correct, correct belief. The second tool is persistence. And the Prophet ﷺ, he said the best of actions are the actions that are done cons- you know, consistently, even if they are few. So it's the consistency of actions that we are concerned with, not with the amount of actions. So that we are consistent in our prayer, that we are consistent in our fasting, that we are consistent in our any extra acts of devotion. That's what matters. It doesn't matter that you, you know, uh, this week you pray all of the sunnah prayers, but then the next year you don't. No, what matters is that you pray all the fard prayers all the time without fail. That's, that's the first thing. That's consistency. And then you add on to that, if, if you want to or if you can, only what you are going to stick to. And, you know, saintly people, when they do something for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they stick with it forever. So they don't, they don't you know, add and then, they, and then they stop. I remember one story I was given... Uh, one story that I was told to this effect, there was a famous um, uh, sheikh in Egypt uh, of the previous generation, and he had heard, which turned out to be incorrect, but he had heard that the sugar factory that made the sugar in Egypt uh, had some kind of like pig product or something that was mixed in. So he gave up sugar. He would not eat sugar, thinking that it was not, you know, ritually pure. Now, obviously, that's not, you know, there's... That turned out not to be true. So when he found out that it was not true, he said, oh, okay, I guess I was wrong. But he still didn't have sugar. So his students asked him, well, why? He said, well, this is something I gave up for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's sake, and I'm not going back. So it's this, this consistency. Now, again, these are just stories. It doesn't mean you have to do that. I'm just saying that, that the, 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 how is this manifested is that when you do something for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, make sure that it's something that you're going to stick to. You don't want to, you know, sprint and then pass out. That's not what this is not a mar- this is this is a marathon. This is not like a sprint race. So persistence, consistency, is very important. And this goes back to what I was talking about previously about having allotments of time to do things. So it's very typical that you would have some kind of dhikr that you would do in the morning and in the evening, and it's and it's pretty digestible. And then that's it. You just stick with that. I'm going to read uh, ten minutes of Quran every day. Ten minutes, you say that sounds like, you know, Ennis is like reading hours, right? But that's what he does, that's his thing. But if you can read ten minutes of Qur'an every day, every day, forever, that's much, much better than if you just, you know, sprint and I'm going to read the whole Qur'an <coughs> in one day. And then I'm not going to touch the Mus'haf again for the year. So excitement sometimes makes us want to do things like the sprint. Uh, but this is not how we're going to advance. It's only going to be by consistency. Another tool is the lessening of things. So there are four key areas that we, we lessen, uh, particularly in the beginning. We lessen what we eat. We lessen sleep. We lessen speech. And we lessen social interactions. Now, notice these are not things that are haram. Okay, We're not talking about the haram is the haram. We all have to stay away from that. But for somebody that wants to, you know, get themselves right with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as it were, one of the things that happens is 
you're going to, in the beginning particularly, you're going to lessen these things. Because the more you eat, the more you get lazy, you know, the more, uh, you know, you're just sort of heavier, you're not lighter. When you fast, you're like lighter. Not in the very beginning, because you're, you know, we're, we're sort of getting, uh, we're a little bit rusty. But by after a few days, you feel like lighter, you know. Uh, you don't have to give an hour of lunch during the work day. So you just breeze through that hour and you're more productive. You're just, your mind is lighter and things like that. So it's the same idea, is that you, you lessen the food a little bit. And this is the sunnah way of eating. The Prophet said it's enough for the person a couple of morsels of food for the day. But if he can't, then a third for food, a third for water, and a third for air. We always cite the last part of the hadith, but that's, that's like the exception almost the Prophet is saying. He's saying it's enough that you have a couple of, poor, you know, you know like when you, right when you break your fast, and then we go pray Maghrib, that whatever we eat right when we break our fast, that's what the Prophet is saying is enough for the day. It's enough that you just like, you're not like falling over from hunger, that you could just like stand up straight. That's the ideal from the Sunnah world. So if that's the ideal, you can understand where we are. <laughs> and so when I say lessening, I'm not saying we have to go there, you know, but we can definitely lessen. I mean, myself included. I mean, you know, skip a meal, uh, half the meal, whatever the case may be. But it's also the act of giving up, even if it's something that's halal. But giving up something for another type of, you know, delayed gratification. Sleep. Um, you know, sleep is very important. And I don't think... In, for us, this is so much of an issue, but there are some people that you know, oversleep. I mean, when, you know, college kids, and you know, either they're sleep deprived or they sleep like the whole day or something like that. But is is not to over overdo the sleep. Again, you wake, you, you sleep in too much, you get sluggish, you get, you know, you're dull, you're not sharp, that kind of thing. Speech. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ, he said, you know, in the famous hadith, will people be entered into the hellfire other than uh, what their tongues have uh, given them. Meaning that, is there any other reason why people will end up in the hellfire? Because they just say something and it just drags them and the Yom Al-Qiyamah into the hellfire. Because it's so easy to say wrong things, bad things, negative things. So easy to lie. It's so easy to curse. It's so easy to backbite. It's much harder to get in a physical altercation. But it's so easy to, with the tongue. And by extension, in our day and age, you know, social media, text message, that's also part of speech. I mean, how easy is it to act like the tough guy online? And I've, I've had this happen. I've had people curse me before, and then I've seen them in public. And they look like, you know, I'm like, yeah, you're a punk. You know, and I mean, I'm stuff, I shouldn't say that, but I've seen that. They've just, you know, they were like frightful to me. I'm not a very big person or an important person. But they know that they lied about me and they cursed me. On, on, you know, behind the screen, in front of everybody, right? But then when you see them and I hey, sound like them, how's it going? You're like, oh, alaykum assalam, you know? So it's very easy to do that, to act like a tough guy. Um, and it's very easy to message this and message that. And just, you know, the, the more you loose lips sink ships, you know, there's a reason why we have these expressions even, and, and they transcend culture and things like that. So just to lessen, we're not talking about being a mute, we're just saying to lessen what we say not always feeling that we have to talk, not always feeling that we have to fill up the silence, things like that. And then <coughs> social interactions, particularly social interactions that are negative. Obviously, if there are social interactions that are positive, like you know, coming to the mosque and, 
you know, tarawih, jumah, lessons. We should do those things. Those things should not be decreased. But, you know, just hanging out for the sake of hanging out when it's not adding up to anything um, and replacing that with, with something else. Again, th- take all of this with a grain of salt because uh, our, these are um, timeless tools and we should take them as needed for our life. So I'm not saying everyone should sleep two hours a day, only eat a date a day. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying that these are things to look out for, particularly in the beginning as we are thinking about this, this journey. Another tool of the path, or two tools that are really the most important tools, is dhikr, remembrance, and, and fikr, contemplation. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, الَّذِينَ يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهِ قِيَامًا وَقُعُودًا وَعَلَى جُنُوبِهِمْ وَيَتَفَكَّرُونَ فِي خَلْقِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ رَبَّنَا مَا خَلَقْتَ هَذَا بَاطِلًا سُبَحَانَكَ فَقِنَا عَذَابِ النَّارِ The people that remember Allah standing, sitting, and lying down. Why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say that people remember Allah standing, sitting, and lying down? Meaning in all modes of their day. In everything that they're doing, they're remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet remembered Allah all the time, without fail. Look at Imam al-Nawawi's book of remembrance, Kitab al-Adhkar, and it's translated in English. There is nothing that happened in the outside world except that the Prophet met it with some kind of remembrance. He would remember Allah going up a hill, remember Allah going down a hill, remember Allah when he put on his clothes, remember Allah when he took off his clothes, remember Allah going in the bathroom, out of the bathroom, everything, before you eat, after you eat, before you sleep, when you wake up, before the prayer, while you pray, after prayer, everything the Prophet remembered Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is the ummah of dhikr, this is the ummah of remembrance. And in the verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says the remembrance three times, that the person is standing, sitting, and lying down, and they contemplate the heavens and the earth. So the dhikr is what's much, much more, you know, 80-90% of the tools of the path, and maybe 15, 20, 10%, 10, 15, 20% is this contemplation. Remembrance. You remember that which you forget. So it's called dhikr because we forget all of these things that we're talking about. We for, why do we have the jummah? Because we forget. Why do we have the five prayers? That, because we forget. And the Prophet <clears throat> he said, Inna likulli shay'in saqala. Indeed, everything has a polish. Saqala is a polish. And the polish of the hearts is the remembrance of Allah. So you remember Allah, your heart is polished. Why did the Prophet use this metaphor of polish and metal? Because if, if something is polished, it reflects. If the mirror is polished or it's clean, it will reflect. If the metal is polished and it's clean, it will reflect. So the point is that the remembrance cleans the heart, but then causes the heart to be a reflection of that which it is remembering. So you remember Allah, you become a reflection of these divine names and these divine traits, as was the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ said in another hadith, remember Allah so that people will say that you are crazy. Meaning that every time they look at you, you're, they, they see you like, you know, just like, you know, like now when you drive by and somebody's like singing in the car, you're like, everyone's laughing, you know, but, but this is, you're, you're driving by and the person is making dhikr. To the point that people outside will see this person is crazy, they're talking to themselves all the time. Well, they're not, they're making remembrance. Meaning, do it a lot. Ya ladina amanu, uthkurullaha dhikran kathira, wasabbihuhu bukratan wa asila. Allah says, O oh, you who believe, remember Allah often, night and day. 
And Allah never says this for any act of worship except for dhikr. Allah tell, doesn't tell us to pray a lot, fast a lot, <coughs> give charity a lot. But He says make remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala often. So the main tool of the path is to remember and to remember constantly. When I was in Japan and I, um, I uh, went to a Zen uh, Buddhist monastery and I was interacting with an English-speaking priest and we were talking about mindfulness and he was telling me, you know, that the original word in the Pali language, which is the language of the, the liturgical language of Buddhism for, for mindfulness, it's not mindfulness, but it's, it's sati, which means to remember. And he said, we kind of changed it into like being like this, like mindfulness, like meditation. But the original concept of meditation, of mindfulness in the, in the Buddhism world is remembrance. To remember the Vedas or to remember the Buddha or remember these type of things. It's the same concept. Now, when, you, when people engage in mindfulness exercises, usually when they, when they secularize it, they say, okay, focus on your breath. You know, you close your eyes and you try to empty your mind and then you focus on your breath. And every time your, your mind wanders, you gently bring it back to your breath. And they, they'll even make a motion like this because your breath is here to come back. And that's exactly what dhikr is. And I, I'm using this example. I mean, I was really happy when I had this exchange with him because, you know, it, it gave me a way, I feel, to communicate this to a wider audience because I think a lot of people understand mindfulness now and bringing the attention back to the breath. And even in some of the Sufi circles, when they do La ilaha illallah, they'll even say La ilaha illallah. And that's why I was so happy when, he, when they would bring their hand back like this because this is like the affirmation illallah, La ilaha illallah, as a way of mechanically remember, making the body remember this remembrance. So the idea of dhikr is to bring the attention back, not to the breath, but to bring the attention back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or the Prophet ﷺ, if one is in, in, in making salawat on the Prophet ﷺ. So the path is all about remembrance. The Qur'an is the remembrance. The prayer is remembrance. Ramadan is remembrance. The Hajj is remembrance. Jummah is remembrance. Learning is remembrance. It's all about remembering because we are created to forget. And we need the constant remembrance. Allah says, indeed by the remembrance of Allah, the heart is, is tranquil. So it's remembering but also contemplation. That we were not created in a vacuum, but we were created in this world with certain parameters, with certain social interactions, a certain gender, a certain race, a certain background, a certain education, with certain family and, and siblings and spouses and children. We've been created in this, not out of accident. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, contemplate on this, contemplate on these signs. Um, what are you seeing in what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned vis-a-vis -vis what you are experiencing and link this back so the person of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a person that is very aware of their surroundings not somebody that's like in a, 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 a cave somewhere that's not the model but rather it's the person in the, in the, uh, uh, in the marketplace but that their heart is connected and I've said this story before that, that Muhyiddin ibn al-Arabi, uh, the famous Andalusian uh, saint, in his book, Al-Futuhat al-Makkiyah, the Meccan openings, he said, when I was in Mecca, one of the strangest things I saw is I saw an old man hanging by the Kaaba, crying. And as I got nearer, 
he was asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the dunya. And then later that day I was in the marketplace and there was a young man trading. He was constantly trading, but his tongue was always remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the, the kid in the market is who we want to be. That's what he's saying. Not the man hanging by the cap. Now if you were like looking at one of those you know, CCTV footage of Mecca and you see the people hanging by the Kaaba, we all want to be the person hanging by the, the Kaaba. Right? But we don't know what they're saying. Um, you don't, and, and then we look at the, the big talk, clock tower and we astaghfirullah and we, we curse the Saudis and all of this. And those people are the people trading and those are the people that Muhyiddin al-Arabi is talking about. You know, they're making a halal income. They're remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I mean, not all of them, but I'm saying, I'm just trying to make an approximation. We do, we do not say, oh, I want to go to Mecca so I can go to the big clock tower and go shopping. We see the, the picture, we say, I want to be the person making tawaf. But Muhyiddin al-Arabi is telling us it's not about what's on the outside, right? We can be with Allah now. Inshallah, we all go to Mecca and Medina, and inshallah, all of us, you know, we, we, we should want these things. But you don't need to go somewhere to be with Allah. Allah is not in a certain place, right? Allah is beyond place and time. Allah is here right now for us. If my servant asks you, indeed I am near. So to contemplate these things, so the, the person of Allah is a person that's in the dunya, the way that the Prophet ﷺ was. The Prophet ﷺ did not sit on a throne, he did not sit you know, up in the mountain, you know, he was with the people. He was in the service of his household. He would make the food with his, with his family, he would fix his clothes if they needed fixing, he would clean the house if it needed, he was in the service of his family. <coughs> he was a, a shepherd, he was a businessman. Uh, he was a warrior, he was a head of state, he was a qadi, he was a mufti, a, a prophet, a father, وسلم, a, pro- a father, a husband, a friend. All of these things, all of these hats that, that many of us wear, he was all of these things but at the best level. So he was very much in the dunya. So this is why contemplation is part of the tool, toolkit as well. So what does that mean where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed you? How do you reflect these things? And then finally is this issue of the teacher. The toolkit requires you know, an instructor. There has to be somebody that's going to show you how to do all of this. You can't be expected to do all of this on your own. Just like you can't be expected to learn how to read the Qur'an all on your own without someone teaching you tajweed. Just like you can't be expected to, you know, to know all of the Sharia rulings on all of the topics, you know, on, on cryptocurrency and on uh, bank interest and mortgages, you need to ask. Doesn't Allah say, Ask the people of remembrance if you don't know? Well, this is the same thing. This is actually more important because this is your life. This is your spiritual life. All these other questions, you know, can get answers to really easily. So when it comes to the teacher, there are certain qualities that we, we look at. Because there's a lot of pretenders in the name of Islam, not just in the name of spirituality, in the name of Islam in general. There's a lot of people that are selling, you know, Islam light, Islam zero, or Islam minus, actually. There's like no Islam. And this is not what we want. So just like we want to trust the person that we ask a Sharia question, you want to trust the person that you ask the, uh, the spiritual questions. So what are some of the characteristics of, of how that relationship looks like? Well, one... You need a teacher that 
that is a real teacher, that is a licensed teacher, that, that is qualified to teach this subject or that subject. And in our, uh, in our system, in our tradition, this means that this person has an ijazah, has a license, and in that is a chain of transmission that goes back from this person back to the Prophet You want to study Sharia, you have to have somebody that has this sanad, this chain. You want to study Qur'an, you need somebody that has read the Qur'an, who has read the Qur'an with somebody, who has read the Qur'an with somebody, who has heard it from the Prophet It's the same thing. You want to study the Hadith, you need somebody who has studied the Hadith, who has studied with somebody, who has studied with somebody, who heard it from the Prophet And this is why Abdullah bin Mubarak, the famous Tabi'i, he says, as is narrated in the introduction of Sahih Muslim, Al-Isnadu min al-Deen. That these chains of transmission are our religion. And if we did not have them, anyone can say what they want. So somebody has to be qualified, a real qualified teacher. Number two, they have to embody the spirit of the sunnah. They have to have respect for the Prophet ﷺ, respect for the sunnah. Because not everyone that has studied and has a piece of paper, they're not all equal. I'm not saying, but that's like entry level. You know, you have to have a degree. <coughs> Number two is they have to be a pleasant person. What does that mean in Islamic terms? They have to have reverence for the Prophet ﷺ, reverence for the sunnah. That's how our pleasantries come out. Number three, there has to be a level of compatibility between you and the teacher. So not everybody you get along with. And if you don't get along with somebody who's a qualified teacher, it doesn't mean that you're bad or they're bad. It just means that you're not compatible. Just like you're not compatible, you know, I hope you're compatible with your spouses. And if you're not, then people get divorced. But you can't marry somebody that you can't stand. So compatibility is very, very important. It's the same thing. You can't be on this journey with somebody if you can't stand them, if you can't understand them, if you can't communicate with them, if they don't understand you and you don't understand them. So there has to be that kind of chemistry. Why is this not necessarily important when you're asking like a mufti or like a sharia sheikh or something? Because you're just asking a one-off question and that's it. It doesn't matter. If you can't stand the way they smell, it doesn't matter. They're going to give you the answer and you're going to leave. But this is something that's ongoing. It's a, it's a, it's a process. And it takes time. So there has to be that level of compatibility. So we talked about the ijazah. We talked about... Oh yeah. And then the other one... Uh, four or five, I can't remember, I don't know which number we're on, is that that the way and the parameters of the way that that teacher is teaching you, it needs to be something that you can, that's accessible and that's easy. The Prophet ﷺ was never given options except that he chose the easier of the options. So if you meet somebody and they say, okay, I can help you out, but you got to quit your job, shave your head, walk around barefoot, and fast every day of the year. That's probably not going to work out. Now those things are not necessarily haram, but that's too dramatic. And that's not easy. But Islam is meant to be easy. Now some people, they need like the military academy. You know, they need that. And you know, they can go to boarding school. But for people like us that are softies, we need like the ease. And Islam is meant to be easy. So you need to find somebody who gives you the easy answer, the easy way, you know, that tells you you're doing a good job, you know, you're, you're, everyone loves you, you're, you're doing all right, just keep going, you know, it has to be easy. But if, if the way, if that, if that journey requires 
you know, even if it's halal, even if it's Sharia stuff, but it's just too much, you're going to break. Uh, and it's not going to work. And uh, you're not going to advance, and you might actually be worse off than you were in the beginning. And there has to be, you know, some level of accessibility. So if I tell you, you know, there's a sheikh, but he's like all the way in Antarctica, and you know, you can only communicate to him by sending a pigeon, you know, with a, you know, written hand. I mean, you know, something. I'm just making it up, obviously. There's not. That's not accessible. That's not going to work. It's just not. It's not meant to be like that. It's meant to be very easy and simple and straightforward. So there has to be a level of accessibility. Now with technology and FaceTime, and now it's easy, but. <clears throat> there are some people that are just not accessible. There are some people that are too busy. There are some people that um, uh, it, they're in a time in their life where they're just not they're not ready to take on students, whatever. Like when I went to Princeton, for example, uh, there's a very famous uh, Shia professor, Professor Mudarrasi, who is an Ayatollah, and I really wanted to study with him, but he he wasn't taking any students because he had like an eye problem and he, it was very hard for him to read at night. He could only read in certain. So unfortunately, I never got to study with him. So he was not accessible. That person was not accessible. It doesn't mean that I'm bad or he's bad or anything like that. It's just there was no tawfiq, there was no accessibility. So you have to have somebody that's accessible, somebody that you can talk to, somebody that you can, you know, uh, get some FaceTime or phone time or whatever and, and get your, your questions answered. So those are some of the things that you look in. Now, what if you can't find those, those things and th that person does not exist in front of you? What do you do? The ulama, they say you should send salawat on the Prophet وسلم, three to five hundred times a day. And then the salawat of the Prophet وسلم, provides a guidance for you until that person, until it's the right time for you to meet somebody that can take you through that journey. So my advice always to everyone is to do that, is to make the salawat on the Prophet وسلم, to familiarize yourself with this subject matter by, you know, reading... Uh, some of the books of Imam al-Ghazali uh, that are you know, very ably translated now, uh, Purification of the Heart uh, by Sheikh Hamza, which is a very simple, easy-to-read book that's based on a poem. Um, uh, but to work on the removing of the, the bad traits and replacing them with the right traits and having this course of remembrance, dhikr, around the Prophet Wasallam as a guide until each person finds what, is, what they need out of this. This is the best advice. Anyway, these are some of the tools. Um, and of course, we could go on and on, uh, but this is a good place to stop. And then I'll also try in the coming weeks to share maybe like a reading list if people want to read about these different things that I have talked about throughout this series. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll have the subject and then some recommended books in English that are trusted that you can, uh, you can go to. Wallahu a'lam.